first thing in the morning, the Russian tanks roll in. I saw the Russian tanks from the third floor of our hotel. The Russian tank drivers wore helmets, rubber helmets, and you could see them from uh, the third floor with the open turrets. But at that time, to a 12-year-old, they looked like uh, real spacemen. And I was very scared. I was very scared. When World War II began, the Nazis and Soviets divided Poland between them. The Nazis occupied western Poland, and the Soviets occupied the east, including Vilna. Within two days, we realized several basic things about the Russians. That they have nothing, that they are very poor, that they have never seen any luxury or abundance of good or merchandise in their lives, and that they are saying sheepishly that they have everything. You're listening to Remembering Vilna, the Jerusalem of Lithuania. I'm Eleanor Risa. Chapter 2, In the Shadow of War. In this episode, you'll hear diary entries by Hermann Kruk and the voices of Samuel Bach, Abram Zheleznikov, and Mira Verbin. We continue with William Begel. Almost everybody spoke Russian in Vilno, and when they asked the Russians, uh, do you have this, they say, yes, we have, we have everything. We got anything. Do you have silk? Yes, we have, we have everything. Do you have oranges? Ah, they said, we have factories of oranges uh, all over uh, the Moscow district. The music and the songs were terrific. All the soldiers were walking on the streets, singing all the time. And we all learned these Russian songs, starting with Katyusha and ending with uh, uh, Moscow and, uh, and war songs uh, within weeks. It was actually... Uh not so very bad for a child in the beginning. It seemed even rather amusing. Samuel was an only child and just six years old when the war started. Very interesting things happened as far as uh, when the Russians have succeeded to establish themselves in Vilna. The apartment of my mother's parents was uh, taken away in order to put there a Russian general with his family and all they permitted my grandparents to take out was an enormous aquarium of fish. 
I was so happy that this aquarium, which I always admired in uh, the apartment of my grandparents, had to come to our house. Then another wonderful thing happened, for instance, that my uh, mother's parents went to live with my father's parents because they had no apartment. So I had my two grandmothers and my two grandfathers staying together. So when the war started, actually all these things did not seem terrible at all. One immediate reaction uh, to the uh, Russian army's entry into Vilna was lack of food. There were no stores open, there were no, uh, no commerce going on at all, and Vilna was a beautiful commercial city. Uh, with uh, elegant stores on the main street and uh, all over the place, a lot of it Jewish-owned. And uh, all the stores were closed, and everything that you wanted to buy, you had to buy sort of under the table from peddlers on the street. In 1939, when the Second World War broke out the 1st of September, I remember that I was very happy with that because it was some adventures, something is going to happen. I remember going out and have to dig some trenches and I got the feeling of being very important. Being a quite young man, um, only 15, I didn't understand the dangers of the situation. Since before he was born, Abram's parents had been active in the Jewish Bund, a socialist political movement. The Bund in this time was split. One part what was supporting the Russian revolu uh, Bolshevik revolution and one part what was very much against. My father belonged to the part what was very much against the Bolsheviks. I remember that uh, a Jewish communist, a friend of my father, came over and told him, Yanko, I know that there is an order that you will be arrested. And this was a day after some others have been arrested. And he told him, and he said, look, I have a place, a friend of mine, a Pol Polish communist, what knows you very well personally, wants you to come over to his place, it will take a week or two, and, uh, <clears throat> and you will be saved. He said, oh, oh, no, I will not run away from uh, the Soviets. I am not frightened for them. I am frightened for the Nazis. And my father wants to stay and, and, to, uh, and to welcome the Soviet army. The Soviets arrested Abram's father. He never heard from him again. The Soviets were arresting, deporting, and even assassinating activists they considered anti-communist. At the same time, the Nazis were tightening their grip on Western Poland. That's where 19-year-old Mira Verbin was when the war started. She was living far from home at a Zionist agricultural school in Częstochowa, Poland. בלילה הראשון של המלחמה באו כפריים אלינו, ממש בתחתונים, ואמרו לנו, תברחו, 
כי הגרבנים כבר עברו את הגבול, כבר בכפר שלנו. On the first night, local farmers in their underwear came to tell us to run away, since the Germans just crossed the border. They said, why are you sitting here? Why are you sitting here? The Germans are already in the village. We got organized fast. We split up what money there was. I took a little suitcase, and we started to run. We went out to the main road. It was horrible. So many refugees all going in one direction. No one knew where to go, but they were going. We ran until morning. We went into a forest to rest. As soon as we sat down and put out something to eat and drink, suddenly the German bombers arrived and laid waste to the place. Dead and wounded, people and animals. It only took 10 minutes. So we learned to walk only at night and hide during the day. I did 500 kilometers on foot during that first week. We arrived in Vilna after curfew. How did I arrive? With no shoes. No shoes, shivering from cold. It was already October, it was cold. I saw a Russian officer, I approached him and told him my whole story. I said, look, I want to go home. I was young, not thinking that this was a guy who had already been through a war. I don't know him. You see what faith I had in human beings? On a dark street, there was no electricity. There was a curfew, and I'm going with this Russian soldier. He could have done anything to me, and no one would have known. And he walked me home. We lived on the second floor. I saw a light in the apartment. My knees and hands were weak, and I couldn't go up the stairs. I couldn't ring the bell. I started shouting, and my sister recognized my voice. When he saw that they were coming down to meet me, he left. It was a terrible picture at home. I found my parents and my sister huddled in a single room with a few possessions and no food. This is what I found out. When the war broke, all the phones were cut off in private homes. My father ran to the post office to call me in Chanstochova to find out what was going on with me. Chanstochova was already in German hands. At the post office, there were informants and they arrested him as a German spy. They took him to a concentration camp in Poland. He was released the day before I came back. Dad came back broken from the concentration camp. He was there for close to three weeks. He told me in secret that if he had to stay another 24 hours, he would have committed suicide. In Vilna, there was no work. There was nothing to eat. Mother was sick. Once the Soviets got set up in the city, 
My father couldn't get a job since he was a bourgeois merchant. Then the Soviet authorities found the four of us in our luxurious apartment, which they did not allow. They started putting people in our house, one officer, two officers, until one day we were told that we must leave the apartment since it was too big for us. Just as quickly as they came, in the space suits and, and tanks, that's how they left and all of a sudden Lithuanian army in quotation marks walked in. They said that they had two small armored personnel carriers that uh, drove around the city 20 times to say that it's, they have a big army. And all of a sudden we heard people of Lithuanian descent. I never heard the word Lithuanian before. I never heard the, a word of Lithuanian language before, and all of a sudden, they are. After my father was arrested, and the Lithuanians come in Vilno, it was a little pogrom in Vilno. Fortunately, the Jews resisted straight away, and the Lithuanians stopped it. It was not very clear if it was organized by the Poles or by the Lithuanians. Anyway, by the resistance of the Jews, the, this program was stopped. And the time between um, um, November 1939 and June 1940 under the Lithuanians have been a very flourishing Jewish life in Vilna. Economically, the life was much better than in other parts of the Soviet Union because it was a lot of food, and still even under the Soviets where food disappears, when you had to stand in lines to get some things, you, got it, you could get it quite easily. It was, in a way, a free economic zone. It was out of Russia, and still had some connections with Russia. Poland, as such, did not exist anymore. It was out of Germany and still had very good economic connections with Germany. It had connections to the Scandinavian countries, which were right across the Baltic Sea. And via those countries, it had connections to Western Europe and England and America and uh, through Russia, it had connections to Japan. Thousands and thousands of um, refugees from Nazi-occupied um, Poland come over to Vilno. Quite a lot come over from the Soviet-occupied parts of Poland. And there was an active life in helping the refugees and also in Jewish cultural life. It was the center also for the Zionist organizations that tried from Vilna to organize their aliyah to Palestine. Among the Jews who sought refuge in Vilna was Herschel or Hermann Kruk. Kruk was in his early 40s and living in Warsaw when the war started. Under attack from the Nazis, he fled in a horse-drawn cart. He chronicled his experiences in a diary. 
September 6th. The highway presents an extraordinary picture. Traveling is almost impossible. The road is completely blocked. You drive barely a few feet and you have to stand still for 15 or 20 minutes. September 7th. Everyone is running, rushing as if he were pursued. People who left Warsaw today tell horrible stories. Four men were killed during an air raid. The fifth was thrown up a tree where he broke his spine. A bomb hit a horse, and as it ran in horrible torment, it trampled two pedestrians. A woman went mad. Many cars ran out of gas. People left them and continued on foot. The number of dead cars on the highway steadily increases. Suddenly, we were horribly sprayed with bombs and strafed with machine guns. Crook made it to Soviet-occupied Poland and arrived in Vilna just as the Soviets handed control to the Lithuanian government. The sea overflowed and flooded Vilna. A place to lie down is a dream. A piece of bread is rare. A shirt. Who thinks now of shirts? Soap is a luxury. Warm food, a fantasy. Every room that looks normal makes you tremble. A room. Do people still have rooms? Are people still sleeping in beds? Are they sleeping? Every refugee trembled when he saw that normal life is still going on somewhere, and not everything is destroyed and crushed. A week ago, a landlord, the director of a bank, an industrialist. Today, hungry, naked, and hunched. Who will take care of the tens of thousands of refugees? All of a sudden, our uh, apartment was filled with people who came from Warsaw, who came from other parts, and our house has become uh, a small hotel for refugees. Some strange things were happening. My father was a dentist and he was helping people, for instance, to build in diamonds into their uh, false teeth, because with these they wanted to go to Shanghai and they wanted eventually to get with the little capital which was hidden in their mouth to the States. These people were living only with one thought, how to get out of Europe and get to America and certainly get out of this region. They had seen the horror of German armies, of Gestapo, of SS, of persecution, of all sorts of terrible things that the Germans were doing to Jews. On the other hand, the local Jews were smirking ironically at these refugees who wanted to run away. Lithuania was a democratic free country. Business was terrific. People were making money. People had the furniture that they got as a dowry. They got silverware. They had uh, crystal bowls. They had a piano. They had silk, uh, linen, and uh, tablecloths, and, and some gold, and what have you. And nobody wanted to just leave it all behind and go to America. The, the Jews from Vilna, either emotionally or, or economically, they were tied to their homes. 
On the other hand, uh, the refugees, the Poles, the Jews from Poland uh, had nothing. They just wanted to get out. So the Poles left and we remained in Vilna and my father was in charge of running the hotel and uh, imagine that in order to uh, make the hotel a little bit more attractive to clients who came from other parts of Lithuania and from the rest of the world, they ordered, and there were about 50, 60 rooms in the hotel, a complete new set of furniture for every room at the expense of thousands and thousands of dollars rather than taking the money and saying goodbye Charlie here is the hotel and please let's go to America or some other place. In the beginning thanks to the consul from Japan what helped a lot of Jews to get transit visas to Japan we have been approached to go to the United States together with these refugees. Thing was that my mother said she couldn't go, she doesn't want to go because she wouldn't like to leave my father in a Soviet child. I by myself didn't want to, uh, to go, so we stayed on in Vilna. My father had an opportunity to go to America or to England because he was a Polish officer. He had connections uh, through the underground to the Polish government that was formed in London. Well, it never happened. Uh, they thought that the, uh, uh, that the boom will last forever. And also, at that time, uh, my mother did not want to leave her, her family and my father's uh, connections with the West went unused. My mother, for instance, was told by some of the people who came already from Germany that um, there is a real danger for Jews and that it would be very good to try to get to Shanghai and from there further on. And uh, it was just a matter of packing a couple of suitcases and trying to put together some money and leave. But my mother said, leave? I, from this city in which I was born, in which I have all my friends and the family, and what will I do with all the furniture and the rugs and the things? And the... Impossible. I, I cannot live without all these things. This is my life and I live like this and if not, well, anyway, people exaggerate. Then all of a sudden the, uh, the Russian tanks roll in again and take over all of Lithuania. The first thing that happens to our family is a double blow. My father is arrested by the Russians as a former Polish officer, having been denounced by whoever it is. And two, the Russians take away the hotel and nationalize our hotel and we move to an apartment in a uh, apartment building that the family owned 
and very difficult times begin for my family. My mother, by hook and by crook, begs uh, KGB to release my father. Somehow she liberates him from KGB. And my father comes back and he could not get a job even as a night watchman. So my father, who was always the well-to-do, uh, well-dressed Polish officer, spends the, his time by walking me to school or the, to the conservatory and, and back. Uh, I joined the, as everybody did, the pioneers, the Russian pioneers. I was wearing a red scarf. Uh, I didn't have uh, the slightest idea of what it meant uh, politically. In uh, May and June from 1941, this SA starts to arrest a lot of people, Lithuanian people and Jewish people. Especially they arrested people what had uh, factories or shops. Because my father was arrested in 1939, we expected every day to to be arrested. Now, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because maybe if we would be arrested, we could be saved with the whole family somewhere in the Soviet Union. Now, we haven't been arrested. They took all the people who were uh, bourgeois at one time or another and uh, considered anti-communist were being sent to deep Soviet Union. We were absolutely sure that we will be sent out. At that time we we're told that if the if and when the KGB comes in to deport you to Siberia and you are ready with packages and suitcases, they say, aha, you knew that you're going to be deported, therefore you're doubly guilty of being uh, oppressors of the working class or whatever epithets they used. You can take nothing with you. So we had things prepared and we went through packing drills that my father conducted so that when the Russians came in and said, you have 10 minutes to pack, everybody knew what to take and where to pack, and etc. Uh, we were prepared to be uh, taken to uh, Kazakhstan or Siberia. Uh, however, uh, our turn did not come because the Germans, uh, the Germans came first. June 22, 1941, the Nazis broke their non-aggression pact with the Soviets and invaded the Soviet Union.
In this episode, you heard from William Begel, Samuel Bach, Abram Zheleznikov, and Mira Verbin, whose Hebrew testimony is voiced by Rachel Botchen. You also heard diary entries of Hermann Crook, read by John Cariani. Next up, Chapter 3, Nazi Invasion. This special series about Jewish life in Vilna is written and produced by Nahani Raus and Eric Marcus. Stephen Naren is the executive producer. Our composer is Liova Zerbin. Our theme music is an arrangement of Vilna Vilna, the 1935 song by A.L. Wolfson and Alexander Olshinetsky. The cellist is Clara Lee Raus. You also heard a recording of Katyusha, by the Red Army Choir. Our audio mixer is Ann Pope. This podcast is a collaboration between the Fortunoff Video Archive for Holocaust Testimonies at Yale University and YIVO, the Institute for Jewish Research. I'm Eleanor Risa. You've been listening to Remembering Vilna, the Jerusalem of Lithuania.